Hello, welcome to Aero Bandwidth, your source for everything you need to know about the technologies, trends, and concepts that are steering our industry today. We hope that you enjoy this episode, and if you do, please subscribe. Hi, and welcome to Arrow Bandwidth, and this is a special starter podcast for Arrow Bandwidth North America. Now, I'm not going to be a regular host. That responsibility will fall to Mr. Adam Capenage and David Potter, um, who's sitting here with me now, and I'm pretty sure I've just guilted into actually taking it on full time. That's all right. You know, it gives me something else to do because I don't have near enough to do in the organization. Well, you know, I, you said that you had a spare couple of seconds, you know, so... Uh, so yeah, and we are also joined um, by Skype by one of our illustrious engineers, uh, TJ. TJ, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, I'm TJ Kilgore. I'm a cloud solution architect at Aero ECS. Fantastic. So very much like Bandwidth uh, UK and Europe, this is essentially going to be a podcast designed for the channel, by the channel, to really help inform and help our partners in North America really get a a very North American flavor of all the trends and technologies and various movements in the channel and what's going on so they can keep ahead of the competition and help us, well, we can help them to uh, to stay up to date. So without further ado, the purpose of today's podcast or this particular podcast is to talk about cloud. Now, cloud is one of these technologies that has been around now for quite a while. I don't think we can call it a new technology. However, I do think it's a technology recently that has had an opportunity to really start to subdivide. And what I mean by that is, is we used to just say cloud. Now we have hybrid cloud. We have private cloud, public cloud. We have SaaS, PaaS, IaaS, XaaS. Well, I mean, am I missing any guys? I mean, you know, I think this is something. Yeah, I think you covered it. Yeah, that's yeah. pretty good. And, I, and it's interesting that I think 15, 20 years ago, if you'd have told me we'd be running production workloads not on-prem, I'd have called you an insane engineer and you know rang out of my office. Today, it's it's part of a normal business planning operation, so I think it's become a very trusted part of IT in a lot of ways. I mean, I, TJ, I know you're really close to it, but you know, me on the security side of the house, I, I see a lot of that where the location doesn't seem to matter as much as long as we can deliver results and the workloads are available. But I know that as David mentioned, you're one of the architects and you're way closer to it, so. What are some of the variables you're seeing and what are customers talking about and how do you approach that? Yeah. It, it, it's, it's how do you approach it? That's spot on, David. So, you know, they're all concerned about exposing themselves to additional risk by moving into something that they traditionally trusted to their on-prem data center. And now moving into the cloud, one of the things that we have to address is that right away because it's so new, so novel that I can't go into a room and touch that blade, I can't touch that device. But at the same time, I'm getting a return in that with SLAs that are better than I can ever manage on my own for a lower total cost of ownership. But the driving factor here is to give these customers, these partners that we have, additional reach. They can now move into things and places that they could never, ever imagine just because the clouds empowered them to get there. And, you know, picking on workloads, one of the things that we're looking at from the, the trenches level is where does that workload really need to be? Is it a database? Is it IoT on the edge? That's where we come in as Arrow and, and are actually providing that end-to-end -end solution that no one else can give them. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I must admit, I've. Uh, I mean, I was one of the original people on the Arosphere project over in Europe, and I came over here and launched it to North America. And I must, I've been uh, a sort of AWS user since two thousand six, when it was just sort of uh, a platform as a service. But I've also seen possibly one of the single most destructive hype cycles with cloud as well. I've seen it promise to fix everything. It's really weird. It's gone through that sort of distributed, centralized, back to distributed, and now we're sort of in this weird hybrid world. So my question to both of you, my question to both of you, and this is something that we've spoken about at length on Bandwidth UK, is about what's the end goal? And I appreciate we're skipping forward and we'll come back to some of the nuances in a minute, but what's the end goal? Now, my opinion, you can't disagree with me because that's going to be a really, really short podcast otherwise, <laughs> right? But my opinion is actually the end goal is neither public or private, it's hybrid. Now, mm-hmm. I have a reason for this, okay? Because fundamentally, right, let, let, let's boil it right down to, to cost, right? So the cost of running an on-prem server, if you are going to turn something on for three years, so we're talking about enterprises now, not startups is a very different economic yes, right. purpose focus everything sure. like that if you're a, if you are an enterprise which is the which is basically 90% of the channel right are fi- essentially servicing medium and, and large enterprises if you are one of those customers what is your purpose why are you there what are you doing well you're switching on services like ERP systems web servers for multiple years at a time right you're switching on a service and the little the, the, the fewer times you need to restart that service the better those services are generally limited in their sort of extreme flexibility and scaling up and scaling down. And when you are switching something on for three years at a time, you don't actually need it to be desperately scalable. You just want it to sit there and work and be reliable. Mm-hmm. Now, cloud can do that, but from an economic standpoint, does it make sense to have cloud do that or does it make sense to actually financially and from a sort of in your own head perspective, just to have that running on a server in a data center. Economically, it works out cheaper to run it in a data center, believe it or not, including cost of acquisition of the server, total cost of ownership of that server, because you're paying a premium in cloud to scale it up and scale it back down again. Mm-hmm. And all the associated bells and whistles you get, which if you are looking to have a very aggressively scaled service or something you're going to switch on or switch off or uh, you know taking advantage of the other services local to that server, that's great. But if you're not, I think hybrid is going to be the answer. And, and so you'll have services that are a bit more bursty in nature in the cloud and everything else will sort on a server. You can't disagree. That's not against the, that's against the rules. You've got to give a security standpoint. And TJ, I'll let you go first. Yeah, and, and I absolutely agree with you, David, because there's some hidden value in there. So one of the things that we're looking at, and, you know, Microsoft has its own Azure stack that you can buy from HPE or a Dell and drop that in your data center. And that gives you a full-blown implementation of the Microsoft Azure stack. So now you can talk directly to the cloud and still keep your on-prem stuff. Oracle's now coming out and offering their Exadata in the same way. So we're moving in that direction. But I want to grab on the total cost of ownership piece real quick. So when I look at this and I'm talking to these practitioners that are out in the field, one of the more pointed questions I can ask is, what do you want your DBA to be doing? You want him to be managing the gear? Or would you rather apply him to solving some of your business needs right up front with the intelligence in the background that he's got? You can release him from those duties 
because in the cloud, we automate all that stuff. But to your point, it's always going to be hybrid. Yeah, yeah, and, and actually that's one of the places where I hadn't necessarily touched on there and thought of, which is very much on the, one of the things that, one of the financial benefits that might not necessarily be seen by a lot of our customers immediately is that simplification of, of deploying something. You know, so, you know, if you are, if you're doing code, if you're just purely writing code, it's much more effective to put that onto like a, a platform as a service rather than putting it on a, a physical box. So from a security standpoint, I agree with TJ to a point. I'm going to disagree with you just because I have to on premise, right? (laughs) So where I see it going, if I have a crystal ball, and sometimes it's hazy, I've dropped it a little too many times. It's got a couple of cracks in it. But I think IT in five to 10 years, you're really looking at policy-driven IT organizations. So what that means is we're going to care less about where is this, what does it do, what are the you know, pieces, parts. I mean, as engineers, we care under the covers. But from that standpoint, I think it's going to be cloud controlled to where your policies are cloud deployed. And your point, TJ, is spot on, especially from a security standpoint. What I've told a lot of our partners, and I'll repeat it today, it's not super popular, is that I don't. we don't really need to sell you probably 90% of the stuff we do if you patch your mm-hmm. stuff. Seriously, go patch your stuff, right? And so that is a big advantage of cloud computing is that the infrastructure providers, the Microsofts, the Amazons, are patching those O days when they come out, right? Yep. Yep. You've got the ability of availability for you know failover, et cetera. I think what you'll see is that as we get smarter with machine learning, AI, and orchestration, that to your point, David, is as those workloads are deployed, if something needs to run local because of CPU constraints, GPU needs, or bursty things, I think you'll have things like Azure Stack or Amazon's gonna put stuff on prem that basically will act as local cache to run, but that yep. it will be more of a cloud-centric model because of the total cost of ownership, especially from a security standpoint, right? The cost remediation, protections, and most organizations, you know, pick retail, which isn't even one of the more difficult ones, right? You got PCI, PCI DSS, red flags audits, encryption and flight at rest, blah, da, 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 da. Those are fairly daunting tasks. And as we're looking at GDPR in the UK, it's coming to the United States. California is going to pass the law. And Oregon is probably going to fall right behind it. Massachusetts Mm -hmm. tends to go right along with those privacy laws as well. It's a whole other layer of complexity. And so, again, from a security standpoint, luckily, you know, being a security guy, security engineers are in demand right now. Do you really want your spendy security engineer dealing with level one patching and O days and silliness? So... You know, long answer is I think it's going to be more cloud centric with local caching. I like it. I like it. TJ, do you want to do you want to come back on us all on that one or? Well, so I'm going to go right along the path with David on this because Damn one it. of my experiences pre-Aero <laughs> was in a global company that was in the travel industry, mm. and so the whole thing is you know the year before last, before GDPR came out, it created a chaotic scatter going on because it, it, it showed that the company did not have a cohesive control and governance across everything from development, which we did in Barcelona, to actually executing transactions in Australia. That exposed that. And then the cloud vendor that was brought in at the time, I talked to the legal counsel and they said, you're actually reducing our risk profile by offloading this and spending a dollar rather than ten dollars 
to get the same effect. Mm -hmm. You're protecting yourself more from break-ins, from malware. Offload it, make someone else responsible. Yep, that yep. transfer risk or indemnification. The yeah. other one I'd ask on cloud that is interesting to me from our global practices area is that from an IoT perspective, you know, with, with central mm. deployment, et cetera, for you, TJ, how are you looking at cloud architecture in relation to IoT? Specifically, I'm thinking like sensor deployments, you know, gateways and the, those collection points where you've got edge cases and core collection, to your point, like when you work for the global travel company, global dispersion and then <laughs> collection, right? Do you backhaul that to an on-prem or do you cloud collect it, et cetera? I mean, how, what are your customers doing and are you seeing that motion or, or what are your thoughts there? So, starting to see a lot of interesting things, and I'm going to throw you an article from IEEE and, and ACM that just came out, where uh, a research group went in and, by using white noise with an Alexa device, actually reprogrammed it. <laughs> really? So, I'll, I'll send you the reference for that. It came right, out that'll this be, last uh, month. That'll be issue. out in the show notes, people. That'll be in the show notes. <laughs> so, if you see me walking around Black Hat just playing static, you'll know what's up. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Go on, sorry, so, TJ. But, but to, to your point, so as we look at more of the IoT and the edge gateway, because let's consider them two separate devices, mm -hmm. one of the things that we're finding, and this goes back to a security policy, all right, and it has to be in DevOps, because a lot of our coders, a lot of our developers, a lot of our software engineers are hard coding that administrative password, which is Swiss cheese, baby, here I come. <laughs> That's got to be a problem. But reaching through the, that device, you know, we, we're shrinking down. We want to maximize the throughput, so we don't want to consume a lot of bandwidth. And of course, these devices don't have a lot of compute to begin with. Mm -hmm. So it's coming back around that when we look at this, it's more often fixing it after the fact. Look at what's going on with the Meraki devices, mm -hmm. those types of things. I mean, it's when we go and put in a video camera with a sensor on a warehouse so that we can start picking that stuff up, we are now specifically addressing, is it secure by itself? Right. But to your point, at the same time, we as the mothership have to be able to talk down to each and every one of those devices, 7x24, 365, have an SLA that allows us to move things. Because things are going to change. We're making more people every day. They're smarter than I am. They can find a way in. <laughs> Mm -hmm. So on that security note, and, and bringing it back to, you know, squarely back to cloud, one of the um, biggest, very much like IoT at the moment, where it's in its, it's, in its infancy, let's be brutally honest, I mean, it's mm -hmm. getting bigger and more important every day, but especially the sort of industrialization of its, specifically industrialization of its security, are very much mm -hmm. in its early days. Now, one of the biggest pushbacks on cloud, enterprise cloud, in the early days, was its security. Do we think that that is still a valid concern in 2019? And if so, you know, I appreciate probably not a big problem, but nuanced it, nuanced. Where are, where do people still need to be mindful of security or do they not anymore? Is, is it literally, as long as you are not completely daft in the way you deploy it, can you get the same level of security from something on-prem as off-prem? Is it purely in the head or is there, is there real, real world reasoning now? So I'll take first stab at it. <clears throat> Go for it. So I think by default, and again, this goes counter to 10, 15 years ago, by default, I think the cloud is more secure today 
because of all the publicity around the breaches and the need for it, and we don't shut up about it. Yeah. And if you think about it, you deploy something from Azure, AWS, Google Cloud, whatever provider of choice, there are baseline things that are set, right? And they've done some of that default care and feeding, right? The machines underneath have been patched. Um, you've got fairly solid ingress, egress rules from the outset. There are fairly clearly defined zones for those things. So unless you are wanting to, to like say, completely daft, I'll pick up on that word, <laughs> and go poking at things legitimately to make them more more open, by default, yes. Now, as I, as I love to say, the favorite answer of lawyers and engineers is it depends, right? So if you're going into certain verticals or certain yeah. areas mm-hmm. where you've got, like, healthcare is a good example, right? Where obviously HIPAA comes into play, you've got some customer data, you know, personality that's exposed to certain third-party providers, you have to really watch those things, then it probably depends. But I would put forth that by and large, and again, this is really an interesting statement in 2019, that by default, I think cloud deployments are more secure out of the box. Yeah. Okay. TJ? I have to concur with that completely on that because that's the question. Has anybody hacked a satellite yet? Well, they And that's the most distributed platform we got. Mm-hmm. So, it's a very good point. So, funny enough, I I came at this as a bit of a sort of um, playing devil's advocate, but I do agree. Actually, I'm I'm a big, big, big proponent of as long as you implement these systems with the same care and attention, it being physically inside your four walls or in a data center or in the cloud. Actually, it doesn't really matter. You can get the same level of security. I think I think we're breaking through that mind share craziness of some of the sort of previous generation of IT architects where they felt that it it was more of a sort of feeling inside their heart that if it wasn't literally where they could go and touch it and feel it and wrap their arms around it every morning, it wasn't yeah. secure. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would argue, having spent a long time as an engineer and wandered around, wandering around data centers, that is not a secure way, a really secure way to, to have things because I wander around. So I'm, I'm, in this security, I'm in this data center at like two o'clock in the morning and I'm standing there and you know we've got three racks and then there's like 50 other racks in this hall and i'm thinking how many people are watching all security cameras how how easy would it be for me just to stand on a ladder and just tap mm-hmm. one of the ethernet cables coming out of this or going from one set of servers to another set of servers and essentially put a little network tap in there and take everything all the information completely you know circumventing all of the security and Let's be honest, right? The locks on the doors. Not, I'm not meaning to like scare the hell out of all of our listeners here, but the locks on the doors of data center racks are about the same as the ones that you buy Free for about shop. for about one dollar for your blooming uh, for your luggage when you don't really care about what's in it. There's a reason that's called contractor grade. Exactly. You know, it would not be. We're not talking about Fort Knox here. So it's, it's a bit of a sideways point, point but it, it got people thinking, and I was like. You know, if you're putting your data in Microsoft or Amazon or any of the tier one hyperscalers, my God, you've got like super highly um, intelligent individuals going in there. They are not going to care about stealing your data because it's worth infinitely more than their job to go and mm-hmm. muck about with it, mm-hmm. right? And and to your point about you know patching, you know, if you're going with a Microsoft, for example, you are going to be they. You've got the absolute experts, the people who are writing the patches, are the people who are literally looking after your your outlook installation you know if you're using 365 or 
you know, looking after your ERP system, you've got the best of the best of the best. Mm -hmm. And I think it gets rid of one of my biggest, and this comes sort of against my whole hybrid thing to start with. One of the biggest things about going cloud is that you negate the need to have local resources, Mm -hmm. which I think one of the hidden benefits of cloud is you don't have to be desperately reliant upon finding local skill sets. And that has been, from my perspective, a real pain. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, and, you know, while we focus on that, that's great. But there's another side to this, and I'm just going to set you up to have it on this, because (laughs) I know at Microsoft in Azure, they look at several terabytes of data a day. Mm-hmm. And they're looking for the homology, the, homo- the, the sequences that are pointing to intrusion. So with the machine learning in the cloud, the AI in the cloud, they can actually be proactive rather than reactive mm-hmm. from a security stance. Yep. I think that's exactly right. <clears throat> you know, you think about your aggregate data, you've got a firewall at your location with one or mm-hmm. two ingress feeds from Verizon, Comcast, whoever it might be, and fine, you participate in some sort of global threat intelligence, you know, from your, your sure. firewall vendor of choice, whatever that might be. But again, you're one attack service, and sure, it's scared, or it's shared mm-hmm. rather. But to your point, I mean, you've got terabytes coming across multiple ingress points, and they can do that anomaly detection. Yes, so yeah, I think that's exactly right. And to David's point, and yours as well, with Amazon and the Azure Stack, you know, it's again that local resources. You can literally send a box to the mm-hmm. you know, an outpost in Rapid City, South Dakota, or is, you know my hometown, and tell the guy, "Hey, plug it in. Red goes to red, green goes to green. Power it up, you know, and it's yep. automatically provisioned, so you don't have mm-hmm. to dispatch a tech. You don't have to do all those things, you know. So, or yeah. it lets you upskill those folks that mm-hmm. were just, "Hey, I'm yeah, a server yeah. admin. I'm a Citrix admin. Well, let's learn some new things and and have you do some cooler stuff with your job." Yeah. Yeah, and I must admit, I had my first, albeit very, very late to the party, experience with um, dedicated servers in the cloud quite recently, mm-hmm. last year. That was a really, really slick experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I was working with a provider, although we don't stop them, but called OVH, and they provisioned a dedicated server within 60 seconds. Wow. It yeah. was unbelievable. A physical server, boom, it's on. And you've got your... Yeah. And, and, you know, then you can... Sca- uh, that was pretty impressive. That's way cool. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. Very cool. So, I mean, th- th- this is the thing, right? I think cloud's got to a point now where actually we can start to circumvent the limitations, any sort of limitations we had in our mind about cloud. We can start to circumvent with these latest generations of, of interesting service platforms. Mm-hmm. I absolutely concur with that. And that, unfortunately, when you come in and you tell a customer at the end on this stuff, they look at you like you're a snake oil salesman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like, you're going to give me a server in less than four weeks? <laughs> yeah. Right. And, and that's the thing. Sometimes you need to turn around and go, if I tell them it's in 60 seconds, I am, I'm, I'm lo- going to lose them. Right. They're going to say, they're going to say it, it can't possibly be. Um, no. It's like, you know, how many times have we, and, I, and all three of us around this virtual table, have been pitched on, no, this, this piece of software can do everything. What are you talking about? It can, literally can do that. It can do that. It can do that. No, it can't. And we all sit there and go, no, it can't. We're such bloody naysayers. Yeah. But, you know, the, the cloud cloud really is getting there. Mm-hmm. So we've got a little bit left, uh, a little bit of time left. So I would like to talk about not just, um, 
obviously we, we've spoken a lot at the moment about the infrastructure side of cloud but actually okay. there's a huge sort of movement away from infrastructure full stop in the cloud and onto services we call it service to services mm-hmm. where you move away from running yep. your own server and you start running your own service so obviously we've seen this pretty prolifically um, with email um, because let's be honest I personally don't know a single organization now that runs their own uh, well other than for niche purposes but mm-hmm. it runs their own outlook right is that is that a commonly felt theme across the group yeah most exchange yeah. services are absolutely completely up at the cloud yeah because actually the cost of having the server the operating system the software the person to run it the risk the backup it's just completely dwarfed by the well completely dwarfed by the cost of just a office 365 license and it goes back to everything we said it's being patched it's being maintained it's being updated yep but go on sorry tj please no, no, no. To your point, so what we're seeing, in my mind, the way I look at it, is we're commoditizing services. Mm-hmm. There's yes. no first yeah. mover advantage anymore by using Exchange or anything like that. that. That's a common thing. That's table stakes, if you will, to come in and run an enterprise. Mm-hmm. So some of the areas, though, where I do see some limitations are, so for example, in Europe, we've had GDPR kick in, um, and I must admit, personal experience in the eight months it's been running yeah nearly eight months it's been running mm-hmm. it's been absolutely awesome because it's been a really good way to unsubscribe from all the junk i was <laughs> subscribed to yes. uh, i'm not I, i'm gonna give you a really true story now my um spam folder so our, we have a corporate spam folder microsoft spam folder mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and uh, it was full every day 15 to 35 spam emails it, i'm now lucky if i get four a morning just oh, because everyone's had to kill you um, but the question would be is obviously when we move to these GDPR type things and, and when we want to do slightly more so for example if you're HIPAA compliant is that the use case where you can't go to these services that how much you know because obviously the services are trying to get economies of scale by being as standard as possible mm-hmm. so one of the problems we found is is obviously when we move to GDPR our t- you know because we have multiple different regions we have to implement gdpr slightly differently we have to do it in a as in, as in in our microsoft environment we have to do it sort of with external services to manage and, and do all of the intelligent backup and things like that and going through and, and so when people ask to be forgotten that's not a service that microsoft were offering and maybe maybe now i may be completely wrong you might be listening to this in six months time and and, and you can email in and tell us how stupid we are that's absolutely fine we get that all the time. Um, hashtag arrow bandwidth on Twitter. Please, 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 you know, feel feel free to abuse as much as is humanly possible. But, you know, how you know, how far can we go with services before we have to go back to servers? I suppose is the question I'm trying to ask. So I'm gonna jump on this because one of the things that when we started doing the cloud some twelve odd years ago, right? Um, we would always look at deploying on a VM. We had an ISO or we, you know, picked a, an EC2 instance in AWS and we would go down the path of deploying on that. That's now old school. Yeah. So as we start looking at things like Kubernetes, that's even getting to be a little bit more like a teenager. Mm-hmm. What I see happening going into the cloud are actually deploying the logic functions, whether it's Lambda or the Azure function and on mm-hmm. down the line. I don't care about infrastructure, but I can put my service up almost immediately. So, but, not but, but then I depend completely on whoever my cloud vendor is 
for GDPR compliance and all the other risk anomalies that I might have to deal with. I truly think that the panacea is actually there in the software vendors that are writing code that is completely agnostic of whatever platform they're on. So you actually just dovetailed into a question I was going to ask you <clears throat> when you're talking with customers. Is vendor lock-in still something that's of concern, right? I've got Ooh, I've got point? Azure instances, mm -hmm. I've got EC2 instances, I've got Google Cloud, and I'm a big organization. I'm Aero Electronics, right? We run several things in the cloud as well. Let's say, you know, new cloud vendor, you know, sexy, shiny thing of the day comes in and says, hey, boys, you move your stuff to us, you know, y'all move all these machines over, we'll let you run it. But it's a whole different thing, right? I mean, other companies have taken a run at it. I think it was two years ago at VMworld. They showed the magic window pane that will magically yes. move all your stuff. I mean, it was a kick-ass demo to be a little PG-13, yeah. but it never <laughs> went anywhere, right? So, yeah. I mean, are you seeing any motion in that, or do people care that much, right? I mean, do they pretty much stick go with the platform stick to it, or do you think some of the serverless functions and your panacea will solve that? So... <laughs> <laughs> Bravo, well done. <laughs> um, and, and you can edit this out if you need to. Yeah, you crack on. We've got a beat button. Okay. Oracle is coming to market with that. They're going down. They're doing a 180-degree turn that says, we don't care where you deploy. We're going to provide that fabric that allows you to knit everything together. They've recognized that they've, you know, they're, they're fourth in a three-man race. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. That's very accurate. And they're bringing that. But to 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 more specifically answer that, yes, I see AWS doing lock-in. Yeah. I've seen motions in Microsoft that talk to that. Heads up, real quick, machine learning, right? You know what TensorFlow is? Yep. It's yep. a it's a Google product. Everything in Azure that uses Machine learning is based on TensorFlow. Think about this. Mm -hmm. We've got the MongoDB wars that are going on back and forth. Cosmos DB, Document DB, that used to be an exclusive Microsoft product. Now we're seeing it in, in, in Google. Mm -hmm. um, we've seen AWS rid themselves of Oracle turning around and wanting to have their own proprietary relational database management system in there. So. People that bleed Oracle are tending to stay with Oracle. People sure. that you know grew up with AWS, mm -hmm. they stay with AWS. Right. The differentiator that I'm seeing is what does your development organization use? Is right. it Atlassian? Are you in Azure DevOps? Mm -hmm. You know yeah. that type of thing, or that's the Google SRE? Yeah, that's going to drive your organization because as your debt, whatever your your devs are familiar with. Mm -hmm. So I'll throw one to both of you, gentlemen. And I use that term loosely because I'm in the room with David. You talked about marketplaces for these more specific functions. But I think actually here in the States, we have a pretty good example of that. If you're familiar with the FedRAMP certification. Yes. So, you know, the government, because you have to have certain, David, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but the U.S. government, there are certain criteria to be a cloud provider to the federal government. There's FedRAMP low, medium, high. There's different certifications. And so they've come together and created this consortium. And so now there are, there are specific vendors and organizations that do these things for FedRAMP. Mm -hmm. Do you guys think there could, I mean, I think, and I know my, my answer on this, but marketplaces for things like HIPAA services or certain financial services or certain niche services. I mean, and David, you've got such a background in data intelligence where, you know, some of these very borderline cases come into play. I mean, yeah. what are your thoughts there? 
so I've got a really good answer on that one because we see this all the time in data intelligence. There is no such thing as a analytics solution. Mm-hmm. There is a analytics platform, but then there is absolutely the... So for example, right, we, we use this one regularly because we actually came across this the other day. Um, companies working in construction, still too broad. As in an IT company working or an analytics company working in construction, still too broad. Analytics company working in on an actual construction site, still too broad. We have solutions that are making serious profitability for our partners that are sub-verticals of sub-verticals of sub-verticals. This particular one is for one of the three different things you need to monitor in crane safety on a construction site, right? And there's an entire product that they've developed and it's an entire solution that they're being very successful in selling specifically for crane safety and specifically one part of three you need to monitor every single time you move a crane on a construction site. Yeah. And this is where I think we're going to end up going. I think, so I'm, I'm going to use my best American here because it works better for this little certain little <laughs> phrase, but the riches are in the niches, right? The riches in the niches, the riches are absolutely in, not in those broad line strokes anymore. And to your point, every single technology I think is going to go in the same route, you know, where, where we end up with the more specific you can be, the more relevant you are to the end customers, the mm. more profitable you will be. I absolutely believe that the, the broadline players, some of them will survive, but the majority of the broadline players will start to become, will, will either buy up these smaller organizations to bolt on the capability to do these and go into these market, market verticals and actually be intelligent and, and, and sort of relevant. But yeah, that, that's my personal point on that. And I just today had that reinforced in the keynote address that I was attending this morning and they're putting together their solutions. Mm, yeah. I want to see all the levels all the mm-hmm. way through. Security by layering, right? Yep, yeah. exactly. Fantastic. So last thing I'm going to ask, last question, because we are we're coming up, well, we're par- past the half an hour, but that's absolutely fine because it's a good conversation. But everything we've spoken about so far, you know, we, we've spoken about vendor lock-in, and vendor lock-in for me was only really relevant when you wanted to change. Um, vendor, vendor locking was once defined to me as the cost, the cost of essential. If you wanted to quantify it, the cost of leaving, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. So, so if we're in the cloud, is there such a thing as a refresh cycle anymore? Does that exist with continuous integration? No hardware, no underlying infrastructure, no security infrastructure, no network infrastructure. Does the refresh cycle exist anymore? I mean, not really, because you, from my viewpoint, you know, thinking from an engineering standpoint, you basically take down a few nodes in the cluster, move them over, upgrade those nodes, do your test. You know, I mean, you can move from dev test to prod, obviously at at scale like that. Well, so. yeah, and, and with containers, yeah, I mean, you just literally slide it straight in. Exactly. Continuous integration. You know, I think what used to drive, and this is going to be quite fundamental for our partners. It's been, I think, it's been quite fundamental for us, in that when you don't need to do when you're when you're not forced into a refresh cycle because hardware's starting to fail and it makes you start to think, oh maybe we could change this and upgrade that and maybe we should be looking at different softwares because we've got to like bust it and, and reinstall it all or we've got to move everything. It's a big piece of work. So yeah. we'll take this as an opportunity to look at the whole estate as you know soft storage and software and networking. They don't need to do that anymore. What's the future? There's only one more refresh cycle. That's when you move to the cloud. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's so, it. No, but I think it probably comes more in the DevOps and automation, right? Because to your point, we've 
we've moved a lot of these existing workloads or new workloads to the cloud, but they're still done in a similar fashion, right? Outlook is still Outlook, whether it runs on-prem or in the cloud, right? Whether you're running Windows 10 on your local laptop or on, you know, Citrix hosted on Azure, it's still that thing, right? Mm-hmm. I think probably it's going to change, and I even I even think the operating system is going to change because to your point, I don't really care where Outlook runs, right? Whether it's on the yes. Mac OS, Windows, or Linux. So I think that abstraction will continue. I think for us, it's around the services piece, you know, doing the, the move to cloud. And then I think AI machine learning and, and automation orchestration yeah. and mm-hmm. policy-based stuff. I think we're going to get away from the like hard configs. And as IT professionals, we're gonna have to understand the business policies and what tool sets are required to achieve those outcomes. Yeah. So David, to your point, there's a social media company that I visited in Dublin some time ago that the individual engineer that's developing has the opportunity to slice off up to 5% of the traffic coming in to do blue-green testing, to do canary testing, to do whatever he wants. Wow. And that's all because of DevOps. Yeah. So I love that. That is a great way to end. If we could if we could, if we we could, could all slice off 5% of our traffic that easily due to a very slick DevOps process underpinned by cloud, well... I think we'd all uh, we'd all be able to do much more interesting things and, and move our businesses forward a lot quicker. Look, TJ, thank you ever so much for coming on. Really appreciate your time. And uh, get back to that Oracle conference. I will. And bring me on again. I like this. Awesome. Well, you are more than welcome. More than welcome. We might have to bring you on to, uh, on to Bandwidth, London, Bandwidth UK as well. That's been our uh, long-running one. But more importantly... David, thank you for coming on as well. Thank you, David. Appreciate it. And thanks, and, TJ. Yeah, and uh, we will inevitably see you next week. Thank you very much and goodbye. See you. Thanks, guys. Cheers, guys. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. To contact us on Twitter, use hashtag AeroBandwidth. And we'll see you next week.